Josie DeVidio is a woman with too much time on her hands and a curiosity to explore the human experience with a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears. Real talk, real people. This is Josieology. Hey friends, welcome back to the Josieology podcast. I am your host, Josie DeVidio. I am a dentist, a podcaster, and a celiac, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Because if you follow me long enough on any social media platform, you will know that I am a gluten-free eater and there is a purpose for it. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about what it means to have celiac disease and why your friends are not being high maintenance if they have to eat gluten-free. And my guest today, who is an expert in this area, is Beth Rosen, who is a registered dietitian and the owner of Goodness Gracious Living Nutrition in Connecticut. She has been a contributor to the Huffington Post and FabU Plus magazine and has an expertise as a gastrointestinal specific dietitian. Beth has also designed techniques and programs to empower chronic dieters and disordered eaters and those in recovery to mend their relationship with food and their bodies. Her goal is to end the pain of diet culture one client at a time. Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Josie. Thanks for having me. So as I mentioned, I, my main impetus for bringing you on is because there seems to be a lot of confusion about what celiac is and why there are so many gluten-free eaters now and gluten-free products out on the market. Um, even though for people like me, celiac has been around a long time, I think for the general public, they're just starting to really get a feel for what it really is. Years ago, when it was first being discovered, people thought that we were just uh, imagining certain symptoms and things that we were dealing with, um, and that there was no way it was related to pasta and pizza and all the good things that, especially me as an Italian person, grew up eating and loved to eat, but that there really is something physiologically happening in the body. And now that we have more knowledge, about it, um, you know, people tend to ask me all the time because they know I'm a gluten-free eater. And, you know, I only know what I know as a patient, but I thought it would be helpful to have someone who deals with many patients, such as yourself, to give our audience a broader understanding of what this is and why when your friend comes over to your house for the barbecue, it is helpful to have non-glutenized <laughs> food prepared for them. And that, no, they can't have just a taste because that will wreak havoc on their system. So before we dive in, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into this specific area of your practice. Sure. So I'm a registered dietitian for over 20 years. And my journey as a registered dietitian has been winding. I started my career uh, as a health educator or as what's now called worksite wellness dietitian. So I did a lot of preventive health learning. And then over time, sort of moved around to see what I liked. And in that time, I myself uh, was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. And um, it was from a bout of uh, C. difficile, which is a nasty microbe that um, invades the gut and, causes, and wreaks havoc. And that's exactly what it did to me. And I got it twice. Um, I've also had small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I also have a fructan intolerance and a lactose intolerance. Wow. So for myself, <laughs> I've got a lot of GI issues also. So part of the reason why I went into GI as my specialty is because I understand what it's like to be the patient 
and I understand what it's like to hear it's just in your head or there's nothing you can do about it. And I wanted to change that for my own clients. So when you work with me, you will never hear, I don't believe you. You'll only hear, I believe you, and I'm going to do my best to help you. And so I wanted that for myself. So I created that for my clients. So that's where I sort of came to working with digestive health issues. And that's awesome because I think those are the best kind of healthcare providers when you are living it yourself and you can really understand and relate to your patients and clients who come to you because sometimes it's hard to explain to um, doctors who don't have that experience. Obviously, they're educated and they know how to handle things, but unless you're, you have lived it yourself, it's really hard to put yourself in your patient's or client's shoes. Yes, for sure. And there are many digestive issues that uh, didn't have a diagnosis until as late as the early 2000s. Right. Um, so celiac disease is one of those that, yes, it's been around a long time, but even in like the 50s, there wasn't a diagnosis. It wasn't well known. Uh, so people who had celiac disease back then really just had to go with what felt good in their body and what didn't. And those are the people who experienced digestive um, symptoms. There are plenty of people with celiac disease that don't experience any digestive symptoms, and yet they still deal with the damage that celiac disease does when you have um, gluten in your body. Yeah, and I, I'm one of those people. Before I was diagnosed, I never had digestive issues. Um, for me, it was mostly really severe fatigue, um, brain fog, things that you know could be attributed to a lot of things. So. They didn't really know what the issue was. And I remember going to my doctor and saying, you know, I just don't feel right. I'm tired all the time. I, you know, I could take a nap at any time of day and sleep for a good chunk of time. I, I wasn't allowed to because of my life schedule and lifestyle. But if I had the free time to do it, I could have easily done that. And they would just say things like, well, you know, you're a busy mom. You have small kids. You have, you know, I'm a dentist. So you have a busy private practice, you know, you're overworked, which all of those things was true. But I knew and, you know, I know my body pretty well. And I knew that that was not it. There was something else going on. So for listeners who don't have this issue, if you wouldn't mind explaining to them in layman's terms, what exactly is celiac disease? And how does it affect someone's body? Sure. So Celiac disease is a genetic autoimmune disease. It impacts about 1% or about 1 in 100 people in America. It comes from um, a gene being turned on or expressed or one, or one of two genes being turned on or expressed. So you have to have one or both of the genes in order to have celiac disease. So if you get tested and you do a blood test and you do not have the gene, then you cannot ever get celiac disease. Um, so what celiac disease does is it's basically like um, an allergy to the protein that's in certain uh, grains. So those specific grains are wheat, rye, and barley. Those grains have this protein called gluten. And what gluten can do in people with celiac disease is it damages parts of the small intestines that are responsible for absorbing nutrients and those parts are called villi. They're like little finger-like projections all over the small intestine that have lots of surface area for, um, for absorption. And what happens is that they get damaged or destroyed, and, or it's called blunted down. So if you think if you were to like file off a baseball bat down to nothing, right, it would be a little nothing. And um, that's sort of what those finger-like projections, what happens to them. And then the surface area disappears. 
and then there's no place for absorption to happen. So malabsorption can happen. So nutrient deficiencies can happen from that. Um, but also some of the things that you were explaining, some of the things that you were explaining can happen as well, such as joint pain or chronic fatigue. You can also experience um, infertility. In children, there'll be failure to thrive or slow growth. Some people experience migraines. So it can affect all parts of the body. Yeah. I mean, I think at its most basic level, it's the pro the reaction to the gluten protein is destroying the part of your body that you need to absorb the minerals and nutrients, vitamins that you're eating. So you can't even, you're eating, but it's of no benefit to you because you don't have access to those nutrients because that part of your digestive system is being destroyed by the protein. Is that is that accurate to say? Yes, that's part of it. But then as that part is being destroyed, your body is responding with an immune response to try to figure out what foreign body is hurting the villi or hurting that part of the body. And so inflammation will occur. And so that inflammation doesn't just occur in the gut, but it can occur in the brain. It can occur in the joints. So that's why you experience the fatigue or the migraines or the joint pain, because that inflammation that happens and chronic inflammation is not good for the body. And it can lead to some cancers, it can lead to anemia, osteoporosis, or even the onset of other autoimmune diseases. Right. And that's the kind of the buzz word or phrasing right now that's going around is that once you have one autoimmune disease or disorder, you're more prone to others. Right. It's possible to express other genes that you may have if your body's already in chronic stress. Now, is there a cure for celiac disease or any of these, you know, similar types of autoimmune diseases? So I can only speak to the ones that are related to digestive health. And as, a, as of now, no, there are no cures. There's management plans based on eating certain ways and protecting yourself from having gluten getting into your food when you don't expect it, which is called cross-contamination. Um, but there is no pill that you can take to or a vaccine that you can take to cure or prevent celiac disease. And that is why it's so important for people who are uh, allergic to gluten to be very careful with what they're eating. And that's why, um, you know, we're kind of strict about it as the patient, but I think sometimes it's hard for family or extended family members. I mean, the family members that I cook for and live with, they get it. But for extended family members or friends or family who don't have to deal with that on daily basis, I think they kind of look at it like, you know, you're being an extremist, that you're not even going to, you know, taste this thing or whatever. It's like, no, you don't understand. It's it's going to turn on a whole cascade of problems that I it's going to take months for me to undo. So I just, you know, don't even go there. I'm not the only gluten-free person that I know. And I know that the people that I know have similar experiences uh, with their families and, and friends and social events. Yes, I think it's very hard for people to step into your shoes and understand the difference between um, your reason for staying away from gluten and other people's way reasons for staying away from gluten. I'll tell you um, an anecdote that I heard at a conference this spring where a researcher was talking about gluten, and he said there are four reasons why people avoid gluten. One is celiac disease. One is non-celiac wheat sensitivity. Another is fructan intolerance. And the fourth is they're from California. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and to go back to where you introduced me about where I want to end diet culture one person at a time, in this case, the benefit that diet culture has brought 
has turned gluten-free diet into a fad diet where people think that they're going to lose weight by eating a gluten-free diet. And research shows, number one, that's not the case. And number two, it actually could cause weight gain because you're removing lots of nutrients and fiber because you're not having the whole grains, a number of the whole grains that contain those things that are beneficial to the body. So if you don't have one of the first three things I mentioned, even if you're from California, eating gluten is not going to be harmful. But because diet culture sort of picked up on this as, ooh, let's jump on the bandwagon and use this as the next fad diet, people with celiac and non-celiac wheat sensitivity have really benefited because right. the food companies have created so many food products for us to try um, that mimic so many other food products that we had to avoid for so long. And in addition to that, we're lucky in that they have improved it. So I don't know when you first were diagnosed, but I know that when I first went gluten-free, which was about nine years ago, um, the bread that was that I was able to get tasted like styrofoam. Yeah, it was awful. And it was awful. And maybe it's that I've been doing this for nine years, or maybe things have gotten better, but I found some breads where I don't, I can't tell the difference. I don't know if I can't tell the difference because I haven't had bread in nine right. years. But <laughs> even going back, thinking about the pasta that was available back there, it fell apart in the water. And now it sort of has the bite of pasta. Right. Yeah, I do, it's definitely much better now. I, I feel like I was diagnosed maybe five years ago, but it could have it could have been a little longer now. But I agree, even just in five years, it's changed and gotten so much better. And even restaurants out here um, are offering more and more gluten-free options. Now, are they prepared in a gluten-free kitchen and you know all that? Probably not, but at least they're at least they're mindful of, you know, using cornstarch instead of wheat flour to thicken things or whatever. So it's getting better. I agree that we are definitely benefiting from the fad diet component of it. And I'm thankful for that because, you know, I think you could lose weight somewhat being gluten-free, but only if you're eating more vegetables. I think what happens is people who are not celiac or who don't have to be gluten-free, when they go gluten-free, they just buy gluten-free substitutes for their cookies and cupcakes and all that stuff. So all those things in order for... Um, the companies to make them taste better are loaded with sugar and other things that are not helpful or, or nutritious for you. So that I think plays a role in why people actually gain weight when they go gluten-free because instead of making healthier choices, they're substituting their glutinous bread and baked goods for the gluten-free versions, which are typically much higher in sugar. Right, and lower in fiber, which is you know a big thing that um, people who have a gluten allergy have to find elsewhere because a lot of our products are made with rice flour. And when things are made with rice flour, typically it's not brown rice flour. Uh, so we have to find, make sure that we are um, still getting enough uh, fiber because we do want to still keep our digestive system healthy and fiber does that. So Beth, when we come back, I want to talk about what are the signs and symptoms that listeners should be looking out for if they suspect that they might have a, a problem with gluten? Hey, friends, thank you so much for leaving us ratings and reviews on iTunes. It really helps the show get discovered by people who don't know me, and they can learn a little bit about what the show is about. So today I want to thank Greek Genie for leaving the following review. Love this new podcast. Every episode shares a meaningful episode and Josie keeps me listening and engaged. Real and sincere, keep them coming. We need this in today's crazy times. 
Greek Genie, thank you so much for allowing me to channel my inner Oprah and talk about whatever I think is interesting. I appreciate that you took the time to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to hear your name on an upcoming episode, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave Josiology a review. You can click the button that says ratings and reviews and either choose to leave us a rating of stars, kind of like you would do for Yelp, or you can take a couple of minutes and write us a review. That would be awesome because that will boost our rating in iTunes and other podcast platforms and more people can find the show. This show has already reached 10 countries around the world, which is just fascinating to me. And I'd love to see how far we can get this content out into the world. So if you know someone abroad, go ahead and forward them your favorite Josiology podcast episode. Let's see where we can get this show to go. So Beth, I was wondering um, if you could give us just a general idea. You know, I know everybody is so different and these gluten problems might affect people differently, but what are the most common signs and symptoms that listeners should be looking out for, especially those who feel, you know, just a little icky after they've eaten some some glutinous deliciousness? <laughs> so, you know, not everybody's going to have celiac disease or non-celiac wheat sensitivity or even a fructan intolerance, which is an intolerance to uh, the carbohydrate component in the same grains that have gluten. But what you might feel is some digestive discomfort. So that might be gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation. Uh, it might be um, infertility if it's long term. Um, you can also feel joint pain or headache. Um, so your body just may feel off. Like you said, you felt fatigue. You may feel that. If you feel any of those things, it may be worth it if it comes regularly after eating certain foods before you cut the foods out to go for testing. Because in order to be diagnosed with celiac, you still need to be eating gluten-containing products in order to get that diagnosis. And that's equal to two slices of bread a day for four to six weeks. And that's really the best way to, um, to eat enough gluten to see if there's damage from that. Yeah. I remember back when I was getting diagnosed, I had um, a few blood tests done and I was positive for the gene, but because I had already stopped eating gluten, they were asking me to go ahead and start eating it again, you know, as you mentioned, for a period of time so that they could do a biopsy because uh, I don't know if they still want to do that, but at the time they wanted to do an intestinal biopsy to see, kind of assess the damage. So for me, I was like, great, I, I have an excuse to eat bagels and pizza and the sand, you know, French rolls, all the things that I grew up eating and loved. So I totally went for it. And all, while I never had digestive problems initially, once I had gone gluten-free for an extended period of time and then reintroduced the gluten, oh my gosh, it was like my body was on revolt. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I, my stomach, I was doubled over. It was awful. So ultimately, I had to call my doctors and say, look, I can't even eat it long enough to make it through the test. So I, you know, what we decided was, look, you have the gene, you know how you feel when you eat it, you know how you feel when you don't eat it. So let's bypass the, uh, you know, the treatment's going to be the same, no matter how much damage there is in there. So since I could not tolerate the reintroduction, we decided to bypass the biopsy at the time. Um, so I just went back to eating gluten-free and it's been, you know, more or less fine since. 
I do have um, other digestive issues acting up now that may or may not be celiac related. So we're trying to figure that out now. But yeah, that's a really good point that if you think that you might have an issue with gluten before you stop eating it altogether, go to see your physician and have the tests done before you stop. Otherwise, they're just going to make you start up again. So what was explained to me at the time by the doctor, you know, because I asked them, I don't understand why I'm having such intense digestive problems now or that was never a problem before. Um, And they said that, well, now that you've, you know, been off of gluten for a while, and by a while, I mean like a year or two. I mean, it had been a while, while. A long time. That your body kind of, your immune system has a chance to kind of reset and, you know, get strong again. And so now when it sees that protein in your system, it has a violent reaction. (laughs) So I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding. I mean, that makes total sense. So I think it's an excellent point that if you, if my listeners are thinking, yeah, maybe I have a gluten problem, then before you even bother stopping, go have your testing done um, so that they can have a, a better result of that test. Mm-hmm. And the way that you get tested is typically they'll do a blood test to test you for two genes. If you have the genes, then they'll go on to test you for antibodies. And then if you have antibodies, most likely you do have celiac but they will want to do that endoscopy, which is a scope you're put out. Um, There's a scope that goes down your esophagus into your stomach and into the top of your small intestine. And they take a little biopsy of the villi or those finger-like projections, a couple of them to see the length of them. And what you want, what they want to see is if you think about a patch of grass where the dirt or the soil would be um, like a ratio of one and the grass would be a ratio of three. So the grass would be three times as high as the soil level. They want to see that, that, that the villi are three times as high as the base of the small intestine. And if, they're, if they've been damaged, they'll be shorter than that. So that's what they're looking for when they do those biopsies. They're actually taking those, those villi out and measuring them. Now, earlier you mentioned that the general groups of food that contain gluten are wheat, barley, and rye. But as you and I know, it's not as simple as that because they use derivatives of those three grains to make a million things that they put in our processed food. And that's why ultimately I think the answer is to eat as many whole foods as you can, you know, vegetables and, you know, meats if you're a meat eater and and some healthy fats. But what happens is that in processed foods, so boxed foods, canned foods, they tend to add a lot of ingredients for stabilization, to make them, you know, have a longer shelf life, uh, and even to make them taste better. But those things are derived from barley, (laughs) wheat, um, and rye. So things like barley malt extract, I find that in a lot of chips that I see. And cereals. Cereals. And um, I think it's getting better. I think now they're switching to corn for a lot of, um, you know, maltodextrin is made from corn predominantly now, but I think it used to be made from wheat. And so now the packaging is starting to say where they get this product from. So that's helpful for those of us having to deal with this. But gluten is even found in our skincare products, in our makeup, shampoos. And so if you're dealing with celiac, you really have to learn as much as you can and read your labels. Um, Can you tell us maybe a few surprising foods that contain gluten that people may not be aware of? Yeah, sure. So first, you're right that 
uh, wheat, rye, and barley are the main grains, but there are derivatives. And I think it's important for people to understand that wheat has many products that are derived from it, like spelt, couscous, um, bulgur, uh, wheat berries. So there's things that aren't necessarily, they don't look like wheat. Farro is very popular now, at least on this coast. Um, and so it's important to be aware of if you don't know what the grain is, or if you've never heard of it, to ask what this is made from or look it up on the internet. Don't even bother asking a weight person because they might not know. Yeah, they're, they have no idea. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I, you know, that's an important place to start. I'd say what I think people find most surprising where wheat is, um, licorice, Twizzlers, they're made with wheat. And I think that's disappointing to a lot of people <laughs> when you think, oh, well, maybe I can just have some candy. Well, you have to look at candy too. Um, it could be in there as well. I think that's important to note. And um, another place is beer. Right. I don't know if people realize that, but it's made with barley, um, hops. And so that's a, that's a big place where we need to reduce um, intake of. Um, and that's a bummer. I'm not going to lie because I, I miss a good rolling rock, but the, the <laughs> gluten-free beers that they have are not so far, not that good. So let's step it up beer companies. Yes. <laughs> I gave up beer as well. I, that there's just not, it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, so looking, I think also when you're talking about boxed foods and packaged foods, it's important to look for foods that are certified gluten-free if you have celiac disease, um, because there are some foods that may not have wheat, rye, or barley in them, but they may be cross-contaminated during either the harvesting process, like oats. Oats do not have gluten in them, but they are, are harvested near wheat, so there could be cross-contamination. So if you have celiac disease and you like oatmeal or you want something with oats, Look for something that says certified gluten-free. That's a label you can trust when it says certified gluten-free. If it says made in a factory with and wheat's listed there or may contain wheat, if you have celiac disease, that's something to avoid. If you are somebody who doesn't have celiac disease and you have uh, non-celiac wheat sensitivity, so maybe you still react to wheat, but you don't have the, um, the genes for celiac, uh, then you know most likely those foods will be safe for you. Won't be enough wheat to cause issue. Um, but for somebody with celiac, we're talking about an amount of 20 parts per million of gluten in food. So what that looks like is like an eighth of a teaspoon of flour dusted over a piece of bread. That's enough to cause issue in somebody with celiac. So when you say people don't always understand and they don't get it, for people with celiac disease, the cross-contamination is so easy and almost to a microscopic point that it's almost safer for you to eat in your own house. Yeah. Especially if you're able to keep your house all gluten-free. Um, because when we talk about cross-contamination, one of the things besides the, um, the harvesting process, just in your house alone, pots and pans and especially colanders that are used for pasta, um, those, as much as you wash them, there's still residue on them and that's enough to cause a reaction in someone with celiac. So if you are hosting somebody, as if one of your listeners is hosting somebody with celiac disease, your best bet is probably to ask them to bring something from their home or to buy something from a package that's certified gluten-free and make it in something that's designated uh, or has, hasn't been used by any other um, carbohydrate products before. Now, what happens if you do get accidentally glutened? Like, how do people know that that's happened? And is there anything you can do to help yourself? 
So only way you'll know if you got glutened is to be tested for the antibodies if you are not getting symptoms. So your antibodies would, would be higher, would be a higher number than where they would be considered within normal limits if you've been glutened. Uh, and you want to keep that number low, of course, because one, we don't want to be in chronic stress because of inflammation caused by our immune system. But two, we don't want to do damage to our digestive tract. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can really do to help yourself when you've been glutened um, that's been researched. But I will say that drinking plenty of water might help to flush the system a bit. I mean, certainly not to the point where that's all you're doing, but making sure you're well hydrated so that your body can help to repair itself and eating well. Um, so making sure you're getting all your meals and snacks so that your body has the nutrients to rebuild what's been damaged. You mentioned earlier that sometimes people can have uh, can react to wheat but not truly be a celiac because their tests for that for those two genes are negative. But if you still have digestive symptoms related to gluten containing foods, what else might be happening? Uh, you also mentioned the the fructans uh, reaction, okay. so I kind of want to get into that a little bit. Sure. So if you don't have the genes, that's wonderful for you you may still have a reaction to gluten or gluten-containing products. So make sure that you don't get patted on the head and sent out of the office or told that this is something psychological because most likely it's not. If you're feeling gut health issues, it's a gut health issue. So it could be two other things. It could be non-celiac wheat sensitivity or it can be a fructan intolerance. Non-celiac wheat sensitivity is where you may still be reacting to, to gluten, which is the protein found in wheat, rye, and barley. Um, and a fructan sensitivity um, or fructan intolerance is when you react to the carbohydrate portion of the wheat, rye, and barley. That's the fermentable part of the grain. And we see this a lot in people who have irritable bowel syndrome, uh, where we put them on the elimination phase of the low FODMAP diet, which is basically a low fermentation diet. And that helps to reduce the amount of fructans or um, fermentable carbohydrates in the diet for a short term. And then we systematically add them back to see which ones trigger them. And everybody has different, um, different triggers for their symptoms. Um, but in that case, while you will see that wheat, rye, and barley tend to have high amounts of fructans, there are ways to have those products or, or derivatives of those products that don't have fructans but still have gluten, for instance. Sourdough bread made with a starter doesn't have fructans in it because the bacteria that made the starter eats up the fructans in order to ferment, right? So they're not in there, but there's still gluten in that bread. Same with soy sauce. Soy sauce is fermented soybean. So there's still gluten in there, but there are no fructans in there. So if you have celiac disease and you think you might have IBS, you're still going to have to make that accommodation to cut out even the gluten-containing foods that are low FODMAP on a low FODMAP diet. And as for people with non-celiac wheat sensitivity, if you don't have the symptoms, or if you don't have the gene, excuse me, for celiac disease, but you still feel the symptoms, I would suggest going to see a dietitian, a registered dietitian who specializes in gut health and try out the low FODMAP diet. It has three phases. And the first one, it's very helpful to work with a professional on that and see if it's gluten or if it's fructans or if it's you know, a fermentable carbohydrates. Because if it is fermentable carbohydrates, it might not just be wheat, rye, and barley that are causing the problem. So it's a good idea to hash out all of them 
um, so that you can figure out what's really bothering you and start to feel better faster. The difference also, though, between celiac disease and non-celiac wheat sensitivity is that you might experience the same symptoms, but non-celiac wheat sensitivity will not damage the intestine. So if you eat it and you have the digestive issues, that's okay, they'll pass, but they won't cause damage. While if you or somebody else's celiac disease has gluten in their diet, you might have the digestive issues and they will pass, but the damage will be done too. Right. You know, I was looking at your website, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, there are a lot of great uh, articles that you've written and the recipes. I'm going to be hitting you up to get some, uh, some of those recipes. <laughs> but what is your, you know, you have, you provide services, I think, remotely as well as um, live because you're in Connecticut, but, you know, your wealth of knowledge. So I want to be able to let our listeners know how to get in touch with you if they want to learn more. So tell us a little bit more about your website and, and what else is on there. Sure. So my office is located in Southbury, Connecticut, and I work with clients in person and virtually, either video or phone. Um, and you can find me at www.goodnessgraciousliving.com, all one word. Uh, and there you will see that I do two things. One is that I help people with digestive disorders. And the other thing I do is I help people get off of the chronic cycle of dieting because weight cycling does not improve health. It actually makes health worse. Uh, and dieting does not actually lead to sustained weight loss. So I help people heal the relationship with food in their bodies. And for lots of people um, who have food issues, they also end up having digestive issues from the restriction. And people with digestive issues tend to have food trust issues because food hurts. So there's this cross between the two. They've sort of married themselves really well in my practice. So I do both. But what you'll find on my website, if you're interested in either topic or both, is that I do have two, I actually have three freebies up there. Um, the first one is called Tell Your IBS Story, which doesn't necessarily need to be for people with IBS, but it's a template where you can take all of your information, write your story about your symptoms, how long they've been going on, what medications you've tried, what tests you've taken, what the results were, what doctors you visited, what foods you believe are triggers for you, and fill out the form. It's about five pages long and bring that to your doctor and always update and keep it with you because every time you go to a doctor or even a dietitian, I love when people walk into my office and say, here's my story. They don't forget any of it. Um, it's much better than walking into a doctor's office and saying, I don't remember what drugs I'm on or what I've tried, right? So taking the time when you're not in the doctor's office, sit down, write it all out, and really get an idea of what you've been through, what you haven't been through, so that they can hit the ground running, getting you some help. So that's the first thing I have there. Um, the second one I have is if you are interested in getting off the chronic cycle of dieting, which may be causing some people digestive issues, I do have a, um, an integral power challenge. And I do have a blog post about what the integral power is, but for me, that, that was my internal kinder voice that came out and told me that I was worthy just as I am, um, regardless of what size my body is. And that positivity and that change in thought from um, feeling badly about my body because it didn't match society's ideal was what sort of helped me to learn how to take care of my body, regardless of its size, and, and really look for health and wellness throughout my, you know, my, whole, my whole body and, and throughout that whole cycle of wellness. Um, so that challenge, um, it's an ebook and it's free, um, has I think nine different challenges to help you see what diet culture does, how it makes you think, um, and how you can sort of change your mindset around a food and your body. And the third thing I have on there that's free is actually a free training. 
It's for people who might already know that they don't have celiac, might have already been told that maybe it's non-celiac wheat sensitivity, maybe you do have um, an issue with um, fermentable foods and are looking to go on the low FODMAP diet. And so I have a free training on there on how to find success with the low FODMAP diet. It's not an easy diet. It's much easier when you work with a dietitian or learn from a dietitian. So I have lots of resources on my website for, um, for recipes, as you said, and blog posts about it. But that video training could be helpful to really give you an idea of how, um, how it can help you if you have gut health issues. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for offering all of those things because they're great um, resources when I was looking at them. You know, I went through, I just started seeing a new uh, physician myself. And when you're in there, it's like, feels like a lot of pressure to remember everything. Why am I here again? And to remember all the symptoms. So if you can, yes, prepare for your appointment and write all of it down when you're at home and can think and don't have the time pressure, that is going to be so much more useful to your doctor when you show up with that and that you really are going to be able to paint a, a full picture for them. So that's a brilliant resource. Um, you know, regarding the um, inner girl power, um, I've always loved food and eating. So I've never been a huge dieter. I've worked out a lot and I was always, um, I enjoy exercise. And as you get older, as you know, certain things don't look the same as they used to. And so it gets more challenging to, um, uh, I don't know, be fit in the way that you imagine you should be fit. And that imagination comes from our society telling women what they should look like. And if we were just allowed to be 48 and the wrinkles come and the double chin comes and the belly pooch comes and still manage to exercise and eat well and take care of ourselves, that doesn't mean we've lost any bit of health or any bit of worth, but that's not what society right. tells us. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I find myself. Um, I'm kind of surprised at myself because now that I'm dealing with some other, you know, digestive health issues, that's obviously way more important to me than you know, how my arms look in a tank top. So for me, I just want to really encourage, uh, you know, for me, that's a big kind of step. Like I said, I never really thought of myself as someone who had any um, kind of body image issues or anything like that, because I, I really feel pretty confident in general with that. But as I get older and my health is, you know, becoming an issue, I see how kind of all that thinking and time was a little bit wasted. I mean, you know, you obviously want to work out and be healthy. Uh, whenever you can, but you know, it's all well, relative yeah. and it's all a matter of and perspective. Exercising for health is different than exercising for weight loss, right? Exercising for weight loss is not sustainable, right. but moving your body or joyful movement or exercising because you enjoy it is definitely beneficial for your heart and your body and your joints and even your gut health, right? Because it keeps things moving when you move your body. It makes, uh, right. makes us more insulin sensitive. So we're able to digest better. So there's benefits to exercise beyond being small. But when your only goal is to be smaller or thinner, then you can give up on exercise because it quote unquote doesn't work. But when you look at it as right. I enjoy this, this is a stress management. This is something that's good for my body. I mean, my grandmother's 99 years old. She still works out every day. You know, she sits in her right. chair to do it now, but she still she goes to stretch and tone every morning, you know, so she's a good role model for, <laughs> cute. You know, for, you know, striving for health and health looks different in everybody, right? So it might right. be quote unquote healthy for people to eat high fiber foods, but for some people with digestive issues, low fiber is the, is the, the way they're going to feel better, right? So 
everybody's definition of health needs to be specific to their body. Absolutely. It's definitely an individualized thing. And I I wish that more and more people were getting that message out. And that is why I appreciate you so much, Beth. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today to share your expertise with us. Um, There is so much misinformation and confusing information out there that I'm glad you were able to come on today and break it down for my listeners and offer us um, part of your knowledge. You know, you've been doing this for about 20 years, so you have a wealth of information to share with your clients and patients. So thank you for doing what you do and for putting as much as you can on your website for us to learn. Well, thank you for having me. And if your listeners have any questions, they can always contact me via my website. And again, that's www.goodnessgraciousliving.com. And I'm happy to answer their questions. Thank you for listening to Josiology. Be sure to visit Josiology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Josiology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.